0: This episode is brought to you by Paris Gourmet, delivering specialty foods and ingredients right to your restaurant, bakery, and bar. Learn more at parisgourmet.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're getting semantic to understand the deeper meaning behind some of the foods we love. First, we'll look at the big debate happening around the word milk. Who the hell are you to tell me what is the name of my product and my landscape and everything we've cared about when, you know, you don't have anything invested in except to put out a little money to buy it? (laughs) It's our entire life. Then we get the lowdown on the language of cider. So the first thing that's really confusing about dryness is that it has nothing to do with how something actually feels in your mouth. And finally, we get our fill of tiki talk. You don't walk into a tiki bar and be like, oh yeah, this is what Polynesia is probably like. Like it's it's supposed to be like fantasy and stuff.
1: That's the hard part. It's so easy to do tiki bad and that's where it gets a bad name.
0: Tune into this week's episode of Meetin' Three. That's M-E-A-T plus Sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: I'm Massimo Bottura.
0: Hi, this is Amanda Cohen. This
3: is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaise. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris.
0: This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs on Heritage Radio.
2: I saw that you do the dough in batches. I do the same thing. I do three, four batches. Don't you think that doing that can help you out if something happens? Like if uh, something is not right, you can understand and then you can adjust it because if one batch didn't went right, you have always something to to recover with. Don't you think that that helps you in your job or? Uh, A little bit,
1: a little bit. Um, I mean, we always have multiple batches going, so worst case scenario, you know, we only have half of the amount of dough that that we need for the night, so we'll close a little early. That's my thought, that's my thought exactly. (laughs) But there's, you know, usually one night a year that we have to either close the restaurant or close early because something happened, whether it's uh, complete over-fermentation or...
2: Yeah, I remember Refrigerator
1: went down or something that...
2: Yeah, it it happened to me too.
1: That is Dan Richer of Raza
3: Pizzeria... In Jersey City, New Jersey, and Daniele Uditi, a Pizzano restaurant in Brentwood, California. Our guest today on Andrew Talks to Chefs. It's gonna
4: take
3: a Hi, everybody! Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman, and thank. The Lord, I have with me today, Caitlin Friedman. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Andrew. These introductions, Caitlin, you don't even listen to show. <laughs> the show. The, the degree to which we, um, and for new listeners, Caitlin often joins me for these intros because way back when the show started, I quickly realized that I have a terrible time doing introductions by myself. I need to be talking with somebody.
5: And I'm that person. I think it's you just don't love being alone. <laughs>
3: I don't like being alone, that's the irony of my life as a writer, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm trying to become a podcaster forever, but but I was last week in a hotel room in San Diego, I was at the Chef's Roll Conference, and uh, whispering because it was 6.30 in the morning, and it was a terrible intro, terrible, as always, probably not as terrible as I thought, but when you're here, it's just everything elevates.
5: Thank you, honey. It's true. Okay.
3: It's totally true. How you been?
5: Uh, so busy. Lots of travel. Yeah, we don't
3: see each other very much.
5: No, maybe that's why the intros are good. We can catch up. This is
3: is our time. (laughs) This is it. This is our. This is our date. This is our date night. (laughs) Um. Okay. Well, before we jump in, I do. Well, I'll quickly just say, this is a kind of a different episode. You know, I'd like to say that this is a chef show, not a food show, and that I'm a chef writer, not a food writer. But this show today is largely about food I have two of the top I don't know what you call these people anymore I mean, classically they would be pizzaiolos or pizza makers Uh, These guys are both, I think, probably known as chefs in their own right Right now, I don't want to get hung up on names That's something I've learned doing this show Is I think categories are bad and unhelpful Uh, But two of the top pizza makers in the United States today. Pizza is, as you know, Caitlin, a a craze. And to a degree that you and I don't really participate in. You know, is it Neapolitan or not authentic Neapolitan? You know, this kind of thing. I actually
5: had no idea. You know, pizza's a big deal, though. I know pizza's a big deal. I didn't know that people were into that level of it.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So these two are... Two of the top guys from different coasts. Uh, I had met Dan Richard last year. Ed Levine of Sirius Eats took me to dinner at uh, Raza, which has been acclaimed by many people as the best pizza in New York, even though it's just across the Hudson River in Jersey City. It's phenomenal what he does there. He is absolutely obsessed with details, sourcing How he makes the dough, uh, everything you can imagine. We actually talk about all that in the the show. And then Daniele Uditi, who's actually Italian by birth, has a restaurant called Pizzana in Brentwood, which is acclaimed. And Daniele was in town doing a dinner at Raza. Dan later this year is going to go to Brentwood and do a dinner with Daniele, the, the collaboration dinner. And I ran over there and we had a talk about pizza about what makes these guys so obsessed with it about how they go about it about what differentiates them about this moment in pizza love in the United States that we're in right now and uh, that's what the interview is it's fun it's the two of them I can't wait
5: also I love the pizza you came home after the Oh, yeah, Dan interview. sent me
3: home with pizza for you guys.
5: And I have to say, it was gone in probably 15 seconds. Yeah,
3: well, I can confess now, the whole interview was just a ruse for me to not have to wait in line to get pizza for my family. Well, I'm works. just kidding, but they don't take <laughs> reservations. So Dan was very generous and sent me home with pizza for the fam. Uh, anyway, that's what this interview is. Uh, before we jump into that, though, I just want to let people know I have two very exciting things coming up that... Um, I almost don't even consider these plugs, Caitlin, because they're much bigger than me. I'm going to be at the LA Chef Conference on May 20th, and that is the second annual LA Chef Conference. But if you didn't hear about the first one, if you did and were there, you probably loved it. But this one is part of the LA Times Food Bowl, which is is a month-long series of events. It is an incredible lineup of chefs, discussing various things, doing various things. It's an all-day affair. It's in Santa Monica. Just some of the chefs who are going to be there, Suzanne Gowen, Curtis Stone, our friend Tim Hollingsworth, and people from the LA Times, like a writer I admire, Amy Scattergood. But that's just a few names out of a couple dozen. And I am going to be there, and I'm so tickled about this. We're going to do a Chef's Drugs and Rock and Roll panel discussion, as part of the conference. And among the people on the panel, or I should say the entire panel, it's Michael McCarty of Michael Santa Monica, who was our guest last week. Uh, Susan Feniger, one half of the legendary team of Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger. Russ Parsons, the former LA Times food editor and writer. John Sedler, who had a restaurant back in the day called Santa Steph that was very important. And more recently, had the restaurant Rivera in Los Angeles that sadly closed, but just a huge, huge talent. And Barbara Lazaroff, the co-creator, designer of Spago, Chinois on Main, and a lot of other very important influential restaurants. Uh, And also the ex-wife, as people probably know, of Wolfgang Puck, but one half of the team that created all those restaurants and i will be moderating that talk and then there will be
5: a book signing how's that sound that sounds amazing and what are the dates that is just may 20th okay this is also how we find out what? <laughs> one another's schedules <laughs>
3: oh yeah yes yeah. so i'll be away may 20th honey okay. uh Note anyway to, to buy tickets uh la is where you go. And the other event I want to tell people about, if there are any people out there who are uh, interested in becoming a writer or a podcaster or a photographer, there is a new conference being put on called the Food Media Lab. It's the creation of a writer. I think this guy is pound for pound probably the best food writer in America right now, John Birdsall. Andrea Wynn, another great writer. Jody Liano, the founder of and owner of the San Francisco Cooking School. And it this is taking place at the San Francisco Cooking School for three days, June 17th, 18th, and 19th. It's a it's a basically three days of instruction and mentorship for people trying to figure out how to get into this crazy business, which is increasingly difficult to get into from the, the journalist side. And I will be teaching a or co-teaching a I guess you'd call it a module. <laughs> On podcasting. I'll be teaching about podcasting. And on June 18th, after the second day of the conference, I will be doing a live show. I will be doing a one-on-one, excuse me. I will be doing a one-on-one interview with Pretty Mystery, the San Francisco-based chef. And then I will be doing a panel, moderating a panel of people who knew and work with the legendary chef. Judy Rogers, who we sadly lost several years ago of Zuni Cafe. This is the 40th anniversary of Zuni Cafe and uh we'll have people both current and past members of the kitchen team at Zuni talking about Judy and her legacy. And I'm really excited. That's only our second live show.
5: That sounds amazing.
3: So that's it for information about all of that, go to the foodmedialab.com. Again, the foodmedialab.com. The is part of the website name. You can also go to my blog, tokeland.com, and navigate to the appearances page to click through to both of those events, or my Instagram feed, which is at Chef Podcast. Go to the link in the bio, and you will see links to all of those things on my super hypo link uh, on Instagram. So that's that. Okay, without any further ado, I'm now going to start my interview with Dan Richer of Raza and Daniele Uditti of Pizzana, recorded at Raza in the office above the restaurant a couple of weeks ago in Jersey City, New Jersey. Here you
1: go. We're doing a pop-up yeah, at our restaurant, Raza, in Jersey City. Mm-hmm. Daniele graciously flew out here this week to yep. make pizza for one night. Okay. And then I'm going out there in two weeks to make yeah. pizza with him for one night.
3: And do you guys, uh, how much do you guys know each other before this? Well,
2: we we met uh, like uh, two or three times. Uh, once, we, we met through, uh, through Instagram and then then, then came to Pizzana and, uh, you know, he, he texted me like, hey, Daniele, I'm coming. Uh, you guys have a spot available. Said, of course I have a spot available. What are you talking about? So come over. So he came over and I forced him to eat the entire menu at Pizzana.
3: There's this pizza thing happening in this country right now you you say you met on instagram you two were aware of each other you know i i think of it almost like in the in the old west you know the way gun gunslingers knew about each other except that it's friendly like you you've heard of each other totally. you know you know about each other you've heard things about each other's pizza you know but you don't really know how true it is until you taste it right how how big a group of pizza makers pizzaioli is that correct yeah. Did i say that okay yeah. Pizzaoli, I
1: hate how, that word. You hate. Well, we'll talk about that, that word in a minute. So much. But how
3: big is the? How many people are in this constellation of pizza makers in this country? Where you got? Where you all sort of know about each other or are interested? How big a group is that?
1: It's getting bigger all the time through social media, plus uh, especially through uh, the pizza trade shows. Mm-hmm. We met last year at the Pizza Trade Show, right in Vegas.
2: Yes, yes, we met. We met last year at Pizza Trade Show thanks to Noel. Yep. And yeah, uh, there's
1: there's a lot of us out there. Yeah.
2: but oh, what's it, a
3: lot? Like hundreds? Sure. Really? Yeah. But at the upper, because to the average, like to the foodies, to the food writers out there, I mean, I. I guess I'll say this. Hopefully you guys will let me leave the room alive. I, I can't get that crazy about anything.
1: Well, we right? do like, this on a daily basis. No, this
3: is your lives, right? Totally. But I'm saying, so I don't know, but there are people who are pizza fanatics, right? The way there are pizza who are burger fanatics right now, right? And uh, taco fanatics, right? But I, I would imagine that the upper echelon of people who you guys consider your peers, um, maybe you're not, uh, boastful enough to put it that way I would think it would be like 20 people 25 people in this country
2: no, actually likely is, is growing you know and I know why he doesn't like that word pizzaioli because it's just uh, relating somebody that does just pizza we don't do just pizza we are artisans that's that's the word that you like right?
1: Uh, yeah I think I don't like it because it's there's no equivalent term in English and I don't view myself as an, an Italian pizza maker. I'm mm-hmm. not from Italy. I'm not Italian. There's nothing about our, nothing really about our product that is Italian at this point.
2: Um, yeah, but let me tell you, you do a really good job because I'll the pizza it. is great. So, not Italian, but one of the best pizzas okay. I've had. So. Well, what you're from, you're from Naples, correct?
3: So, what is the mindset, right? Like, what you just said is interesting. It's not Italian, but you do great pizza. What is the mindset? Because it's Italy in general is, is uh, when it comes to food, can be very conservative, right? Very traditional. Uh, I remember I had Massimo Bottura on the show, and he was saying, you know, what he does now, which is respected all around the world, when he started doing it. Locally, they did, They he, he had pushback. Yeah. People weren't interested. They thought it was like sacrilege, right? What's the attitude? Do you think what you guys do would fly
2: in Italy today? Has it changed that that sort of point of view? Well, it's starting to change. I think a little bit in Italy too. But uh, you know, there is a, a, when we when we talk about pizza in Italy, the first the first thought goes to Neapolitan pizza. And just like, uh, I, I, I will say, like, caging the word pizza to a style. To me, it's uh, it's it's not a good thing to do because that starts uh, to be uh, like we have a beautiful friendship, right? Even though if we know each other from a short period of time, but we can talk openly about pizza and respect each other's style. But then, as his personal style, I have my personal style. There is not something that cage the word pizza like then doesn't do jersey pizza or New York style pizza. It does then uh, Richard pizza, and I do Daniele Uditi pizza. And that is the thing that I think that we have to tra- transmit when we do our own things, like uh, not caging the word pizza to a style. And that can open up a lot of doors. That's totally,
1: I think people around the world get, get stuck on this style Mentality where you're doing this style, Detroit style or New York style, and everybody gets fixated on these things of having to use a certain flour or having to use a certain tomatoes um, when I just want to make really good pizza.
3: Well, it's interesting, right? Because both of you, look, no disrespect to the tradition of pizza, right? But in most cases, when you talk about a pizzeria in this country, when you talk about that word I'm not going to say again but a pizza maker, right? This is probably someone at those places that's kind of their main thing and and they make pizza and they make traditional pizza. They probably do make it in a certain style generally speaking. You guys both have uh, you 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 found your way to pizza. Right, pizza wasn't. You both worked in kitchens where other things were going on, and then sort of settled on pizza as your. I guess I would say your canvas, if that's not too precious, or as your as your medium, or as your your specialty. How would you guys put it? How would you? What's your What is your relationship? Let me ask it a different way, Danielle. Let's start with you. What was the the the? If you remember the moment, or if it was more gradual, what was the progression that led you? To say this is you know this is what I'm going to f- focus on. This is going to be the thing that I really spend my career, um, you know, developing and honing and making my own. What was what was the when you decided to go all in on the on this d- direction?
2: Well, pretty much when I set foot in this country, so I came in LA first, and I was making Neapolitan pizza. People like it. Some people don't like it because they consider it too. Uh, juicy, too, too, too soupy, so, uh, you know, and uh, w- while eating it, you know, it's, I in myself, yeah, I like it, it's something that I grew up with, It or maybe that's why I like it, but uh, instead of doing something that everybody was doing, because there's this boom of pizza in Italy, too, about Neapolitan style, uh, was growing too much, it's like, uh, yeah, but I'm gonna tell the history of uh, of like a, of, of, of 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 the same history that everybody that everybody's telling. So, what can I say to people that talks about me? It's more personal. So, and I remember when my auntie uh, used to make a bread. As a bread, that was started in 1500 in my little town close to Caserta, uh, and uh, and I remember enjoying so much working with her and taking the leftover of that bread and flattening it out, put toppings and make it into a pizza. I remember my aunt is screaming at me. It's like, what are you doing? This is not pizza. This is sacrilegious. It's not pizza, it's bread. I said, yeah, but it tastes good like a, like a pizza too. So why not? And that moment in my mind since I was 12, I always uh, told myself, it's like uh, bread and pizza are not that far apart. It's same, it's same things. It's flour, water, a fermentation uh, agent fermented agent, and salt. So so, so you were a nonconformist even as a as a child? No, I I, I like that moment of sharing. Because to me, pizza is a sharing moment. You go out with your family, you have a slice of pizza, and there is nothing more sad to me than grabbing a slice of pizza and all your, your ingredient falls off on the slice, <laughs> they end up on a plate, and then you are... I left with this uh, like floppy, wet piece of dough. As at the end of the day, it's better if I do bruschetta. It's the same thing. I give a bite, and all the tomatoes fall off. Yeah, it's like when the ice cream falls off the cone. It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why uh, I went back to my root, my personal heritage, and I wanted to tell. I just wanted to tell my story, and likely people like my story. So win-win. Okay, Dan. How about you? What was the When did you decide to?
3: Leave aside, uh, not every other, you have other things on the menu here, but this you are known for your pizza. Totally. Yeah. What made you, when was the moment you decided to go all in on that?
1: So I knew very early on that I wanted to open a restaurant. Uh, My first trip to Italy was when I was 21 or 22. I came home from that trip and knew I wanted to bring really delicious food to New Jersey. Uh, So I bought a failing restaurant in 2006, had two wood-fired ovens, had a pizza recipe. Um, It was terrible, but I wanted to um, maximize these two wood-fired ovens that were in the restaurant, so I started really studying bread-making techniques and cheese-making techniques and started to really focus a lot of attention on on pizza.
3: Was it a function of the ovens? Was it just fate?
1: It was just, I I had these two wood-fired ovens, so if you're not making really good, pizza, yeah. what are you doing? It's a waste of time.
3: What were the examples that led you to start examining, because this is what you're known for, right? Yeah. You are known for obsessively examining and decision-making on each detail totally. of the pizza. You don't use the same crust for all your pizzas?
1: Uh, we
3: don't have... We don't...
1: Yeah.
3: Right? Am I wrong? When I came to dinner, didn't I have like three different crusts?
1: Yeah. We. So we are... Our situation's unique here um, at this restaurant. Yeah. We have a very small dough mixer. Okay. Okay. So we have to mix multiple batches of dough every day. Yeah. So we get the opportunity to play around and do side-by-side pizzas. We'll do one day where we're working on two different flours. Mm -hmm. So we'll use King Arthur All-Purpose Flour on one batch and Central Milling their their All-Purpose Flour on the second batch. Mm -hmm. And throughout the night, we'll we'll test them side by side with all other things being exactly equal.
3: Interesting. Um,
1: some days we'll do the same flour, but do two different dough temperatures Mm -hmm. and see what the results are. Uh, we'll do one that's completely naturally fermented with no commercial yeast. And then the other batch will have a tiny bit of commercial yeast and we're able to really see the textural differences and flavor profile differences. Um, between the two because you're doing them side by side
3: right and you're Daniela you're nodding as he says all this you've gone through a similar or you just relate to this kind of a trial and error
2: Oh, I just got lucky I was born in a family with a recipe and uh, I didn't have to do that much work to do. So I flew with uh, my starter from my family. It was started 64 years ago from my auntie. Luckily, custom didn't stop me and make me throw away. So <laughs> I entered this country with uh, an illegal fermenting starter. Fermenting starter, And I started to make pizza with that, fed them, and then th- 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 that's, that's what it is, you know. And I still make the dough by hand, and he like, uh, like to pick on me. It's like, <laughs> why don't you get a dough uh, dough maker? Because I'm like a mixer. Because I never used one. I, I'm probably going to be dumb using it. So I just like the feeling to fill feel the flour with my hands. And probably one day I will, maybe I will end up doing it And I will ask him for a suggestion. But for now, you know, I'm still going to stick with my beautiful hands to make the dough. So
1: <laughs> I didn't grow up in a family of... Of pizza makers or bread makers or anything like that, um, so the the journey for me of of learning how to do this has been very challenging and very um, rewarding at the same time. Having to learn from the very beginning um, how to deal with season changes, how to deal with humidity changes, how to deal with flower lot changes, um, every day is such a such a uh, a, a challenge trying to maintain consistency, but also push the product to its uh, to its limits in terms of flavor and texture.
2: Yeah, but that that's not gonna mm-hmm. stop. You know, even for me, it's the same thing. It's even with the, a lot of experience, and even have the luck to be born in a family of bread makers. Uh, the, you, you never know what's gonna happen, you know, because especially in LA, in LA there is a, a temper the change between the morning and night is like a, a lot of degrees. And then it can shock the dough, you know, it can shock your bacteria. And when I came here, sometimes I ended up with the dough that doesn't want to grow up, that, that, that doesn't want to proof, doesn't want to ferment as well. Oh my God, what am I gonna do? Did I do something wrong? And I, I had like books on books and, uh, like reading, reading recipes, of what I did wrong. Calling my auntie in Italy, said, what, what what I'm doing wrong? This is nothing. Did you check the temperature? Oh, that probably might be. So yeah. I started to work with thermometers and uh, you know some stuff that uh, in in Italy pizza makers don't don't even use. And uh, like uh, in, in Italy, there is this myth of the point of the dough. Right? They keep adding flours. Uh, until they touch the dough and they say, it's done. To me, there was always something that I couldn't understand. So that's why I asked for uh, like uh, my auntie recipes, like, and then I started to study hydration. I came here just with the recipe, but then you have to study all this this stuff. You need to be able to explain people that are eating your pizza, what is the process in your dough that make it special, that make it healthy, that make it digestible, because a proof dough, doesn't mean that it's a good dough. You, you can put a lot of yeast in your pizza, make it proof, yeah, the bacteria are gonna eat the, the, the sugars and uh, uh, poof out the carbon dioxide and then it gets stuck in the uh, gluten shirt and then it proofs, but, but that doesn't mean that it's digestible. So it needs to do other process to, to, to reach that. And then I had to study that, probably the same thing that you had to study that. Yeah, so.
1: not specifically f- to make it necessarily more digestible but to make it taste better the the proof is in the flavor Uh, you can tell when something has been properly fermented i agree Uh, if it's just been inflated with carbon dioxide there's there's absolutely no flavor and i think that 99 percent of the pizza out there in the united states (laughs) uh is that, it's just, it's kind of flavorless. It's like an air balloon,
2: right? It's just like putting air in something and then giving a bite out yeah. of air. You taste air, that's all you taste. But there's not the line on a the texture, there is not, the, you don't taste the grains. You know, there is Millers that work there. The, 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 I don't want to use a bad word, but they beep uh, off. And, uh, you know, I think as a, as an artisan, like as a, a pizza maker, you need to respect that, you know, you need to show the work that somebody else done with the product that you're using. So, yeah.
1: And you have to understand what they go through, uh, in order to flex with the, the, the season changes and, yeah. um, uh, temperature changes and, all that you have to understand the the flour in order to get a, a really yeah. high quality and consistent product.
2: You see why we go really well together. We have the same idea of pizza in uh, may, maybe different styles, but it's our own personal style. But the idea, uh, the heart is in the right place. You know that goes in the same direction. We just want to give to people a really good product that tastes good and is good for you. So.
3: Okay, so tell me how, what are the differences between you guys? To follow up on what you just said, Danielle, like where do you guys diverge in your pizza styles?
1: Well, so he's a Neapolitan, yeah. right? He's from Italy. So you use some Italian ingredients and you mm-hmm. grew up eating that pizza. Yep. Like I fundamentally did, don't love Neapolitan pizza. That's not my favorite style. I didn't grow up there. I, you know, I i enjoy it when it's made really really well what
3: doesn't work for you about it
1: uh it's mostly having to do with the texture uh, but also the fact that like, most neapolitan pizza is not it's not cut right it's not sliced it's not a shareable food there's a fundamental difference between pizza in italy and or neapolitan pizza and american pizza american pizza is always sliced okay it's the the world's most shareable food mm-hmm. okay, and because it's sliced it needs to be sturdier it needs to be crispier okay so the pizza i grew up eating in new jersey and new york is always crispy bite into it and you hear an audible crunch Yeah, or if you okay. fold it in
3: half to totally. walk yeah totally yeah
1: that's foreign in in the naples area that's not a neapolitan thing it's an individual thing I, Everybody gets their own pizza. It's a fork and knife thing. It's not this. Let's get one big pie for the table and we'll all take a slice. Okay, that's that's one of one of my favorite things about pizza and pizza in the United States of America. That's our mark on pizza is making pizza shareable and making it equitable and mm-hmm. fair for all. Um, I, I just love that about American pizza and our mark on pizza. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so you like a crispier pizza?
1: Totally.
2: You yeah. yeah. Same thing, yeah, well, because I grew up with my auntie making bread, and with leftover bread, we will make pizza. The oven temperature was lower to bake bread, so that ended up of making the pizza be really soft on the inside, but as this little layer on the outside is crunch that it gives you the pillowy experience, but not losing the texture, so. Uh, i i love that 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 kind of uh, of experience that i that I had as a child and I still love it now you know and uh, you know the thing about neapolitan pizza if you think about it uh usually neapolitan pizza is cooked for 60 seconds 90 seconds ni- 60 to 90 seconds right in an oven there is 800, 900 fire net right if we add another 600 700 Celsius we can we reach the point of melt of glass <laughs> is that amazing so like uh, if you keep putting wood you can melt glass in it so that my question is this logical how you can cook a piece of dough the weight 300 grams, from 250 to 300 grams in 60 seconds with ingredient on top that needs to be married and also give the people the experience of uh, the wood burning f- uh, flavor I don't think it's possible. That's my own, it's not because, you know, uh, I hear we want to talk about, uh, you know, garbage about Neapolitan pizza, you know, it's something that I grew up eating it, you know, it's not my favorite thing. We are talking about personal experience, but uh, to me it's impossible to cook a piece of dough, a piece of bread, or a piece of uh, uh, of dough in, in 60 seconds and give the customer the experience of, Wood burning oven and cooking and marrying the ingredient in 60 seconds. I, I heard people searing fish in 60 seconds with a flame, but never cooking. That's funny. So. Uh,
1: you know, I, I think that they're, they're, I don't want to take anything away from Neapolitan pizza. I mean, they're obviously doing something right.
3: Well, I was just going to say, everything you guys are saying, this is, you just said it, Daniel. It's just your personal Totally. It's just your totally.
1: personal taste. And You know, I look at people like uh, Una Pizza Napolitana, Anthony Mangieri, and that's Neapolitan-style pizza. And it's incredible. When it's done really, really well with a lot of care and attention to detail, it's a beautiful thing. But it's not my favorite style of pizza, and I have never had the desire to make that style of pizza.
3: So when you were developing your style, right, let's imagine that you were sort of an arrow, right, traveling through space, okay? Did you know what the bullseye was or was it strictly screwing around in the kitchen, trying different doughs, trying different cook times and, you know, like at the eye doctor, better or worse, better or worse until yes. you got to a place that you were happy?
1: Well, it definitely wasn't a straight line by any means. So you didn't know where you were going? Okay. So what I knew is I didn't want to do Neapolitan style pizza okay uh, at the time I was eating as much pizza as I possibly could I was in the city doing pizza tours you know six pizzerias in a day twice a week you know non-stop eating pizza now and can
3: I ask you a potentially a jerky question bring it. Were you being a snob about it, or were you going to like? Every, were you going to places just along Sixth Avenue that are just your average New York utility slice pizza, or were you just going to like Lombardi's and you going know to
1: every place that I possibly?
3: You were could, just going on a pizza crawl,
1: mostly to places that had wood-fired ovens because okay. I owned a pizzeria with mm-hmm. wood-fired ovens, uh, so I, I really wanted to learn about. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to experience as much wood-fired pizza as I as I could. Yeah, uh, and it every single time that I went, I I left feeling like I, don't, I just don't really like this. So I started being very introspective, like what don't I like about this? And typically it came ta- it came down to the the textural components. I loved the flavors, I just didn't like the texture. I didn't like that fast bake that left the pizza. Uh, a little softer and wetter, and um, I wanted to create something that was more like what would come out of a uh, of a of an electric oven or a gas oven or a coal oven. When I was creating our product, uh, I started doing dough trials. Okay, I was trying a different dough every single day. Okay, and, and we're not talking uh, using somebody else's recipe. Okay, because pizza dough is flour, water, salt and yeast of some sort, okay? So I would try this hydration one day, a lower hydration the next day, a higher hydration the next day until I achieved the 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 hydration level that was that that made me happy. So I was doing all these trials and I needed to come up with a um, a way to to log them to so that I can learn from all of these trials because dough making is, uh, there's a a huge lag time, okay? What you tried today, you're not going to experience until tomorrow or the next day. So you tend to forget what subtle changes you make. So I came up with a log system of um, of what did I change, what are the results, and what am I going to do the next time? And then I started to come up with a list of what am i trying to achieve here so i came up with a list of all the parameters that i wanted in my ideal pizza and it started out with like a list of 10 10 characteristics that i want in my pizza i want it to be crispy i want it to be um, deeply caramelized on the outside i want the be- the cheese to be fully melted okay and then this list of 10 characteristics slowly added to it over time and now it's uh, it's about 50 characteristics long it's a five page document with dimensions like it's legitimately a set of pizza blueprints for our pizza for rats pizza that's what we're shooting for and now I use this document to train incoming employees and to hold ourselves accountable Uh, every night for for what our pizza should be. And we're able to keep it consistent because we know what we're shooting for. It's a roadmap for our pizza.
3: Is there anything else in your life that you pursued with this kind of single mindedness? Like, are you an obsessive person? Were you obsessive as a child? Are there, are you a collector of things?
1: Like, I could have some hoarding tendencies. You do. <laughs> I didn't even mean that. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're uh, joking. I am joking. Okay, I'm joking. But are there I, other I are like there things learn. that yeah?
3: But are there things that you've obsessed on over in your life? I don't mean it in a derogatory way.
1: I'm a little bit OCD. Yeah. Uh, both of my parents were a little bit obsessive. Uh-huh. My mom was a calligrapher.
3: Okay. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So she would sit there night after night and practice her handwriting. Okay. And that's what she did for a living. One thing and just focused and just trying to get better over time. And now when I look back on some of her artwork between like you know, the early eighties to the late nineties, like twenty year period, you can see this crazy progression from an amateur to an expert craftsman. You relate to that. Totally.
3: Yeah, how about your dad?
1: Uh, my dad was just a little obsessive about Okay things like the new okay. york yankees and gardening stats and stuff like that <laughs> uh yeah
3: okay and then seed types and all that and the all outs- kinds of stuff yeah
1: yeah okay. but never channeled and right for me i i can be obsessive and having this this thing that i can channel that obsession is really important for me because mm-hmm. then if i didn't have this i'd I'd probably go a little crazy. Or
3: be driving people in your life crazy. Totally. Yes, totally. 100%. Well, so, uh, hold on. That,
2: that proves to do this job, to be a baker, to be, uh, you know, uh, involved with this kind of, uh, of of experience, you need to have that obsession. Otherwise, you won't achieve what you want to achieve. You know, you just will stop on a recipe. Yeah, it is good. And then you will leave it uh, as is and then take care of other people. And then, I think the mistake that most of people do, you know, you don't pursue it, you don't, even every day, you, and you need to teach people how to uh, replicate your vision. So you need to be there, you need to inspire people, and you need to translate that obsession that you have in really positive energy to make that uh, piece of dough telling your story every day in the same way with the same standards. So you, you need to have an OCD, otherwise you cannot do this job.
1: But you can do the job you know if if you don't have the obsession you're just your product is not going to be that that good yeah. and for me, like I signed my first commercial lease when I was twenty six years old. I don't come from money i I borrowed a ton of money from random people, and failure wasn't an option, so I had to make sure the product was good enough to get our guests to make our guests happy and to get my staff paid and those are really the the two driving forces behind wanting to make a great product is so I don't I don't fail so I can pay the rent I can get my staff
2: paid I've been through the same uh, the same process you know we, I borrowed money from uh, my partner we we opened up a place together you know and in a it's not cheap to open up a place so Where, Where's the original place uh, the the original place is called Pizzana and uh, it's in Brentwood. It's a really high-hand uh, uh, neighborhood, you know, and there's a lot of families. We were shooting for uh, family style, you know, we, we want family to come to the restaurant and enjoy basically the same experience as, as a kid. But, uh, you know, that neighborhood costs some money. So, uh, you know, my, my obsession was to not make my partner like uh, down. You know, they gave me an opportunity. I came in this country with 300 bucks in my pocket. I didn't come for money either, so we relate on that totally. Did 100%. you live in a
1: van for six months?
2: Yes, no, 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 no not that much. It's not six months; it's a little less. But me and my brother came uh, six months. Uh, it's too much. It's <laughs> about three max, three months. We were showered on Venice Beach and <laughs> try to make a living. Special, what, yeah. like over by Muscle Beach over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close to that. <laughs> close to that. And actually, we were waiting the the night time. Luckily, in LA, it was hot. And the time because in the morning there were the police that doesn't let you shower with soaps on the freaking <laughs> beach. So they were like, hey guys, you cannot do that. Luckily my brother speak English because I didn't spoke one word of English. I was just like shower myself. And you know, we, we had to do what we had to do. But at the end of the day, we uh, we, we encountered uh, in our path, beautiful people. Uh, we start to work in a local pizzeria and some good review came some celebrity came along so we, we got a really good uh, following and then my partner came along they tasted the pizza they were interested in this different approach about uh, the, the, the pizza that an Italian was doing and we ended up doing business together. So
3: can you can you tell this story? Because wasn't this you were doing private parties? No. Yes. And that's how that's how your partners discovered you.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, the first guy that gave me the opportunity, and then we are really good friends, Chris O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. And Chris was uh, so great with me. Uh, invited me to his house. Says, Listen, I, uh, I have a pizza oven. Your pizza is really good. But I can't figure out a way to make it work. You know, and I went to his house. I went five hours before. He said, what the hell are you doing here five hours before? Well, we need to light up the oven. Uh, I need some charcoal. The oven needs to be purified because you probably don't use it every day. There was a bunch of uh, stuff in uh, on the dome and stuff where we cleaned the oven, prepped everything from scratch, from the farmer's market to his house. And he was like... A, oh, I didn't know the pizza was all this this work. I said, well, I don't take less than this. So he started to make a couple of pies with me and then after a couple of pizza, he said, you know what, I think you have a future in this job. So you keep doing pizza, I'm gonna go in the <laughs> over there and a glass of wine, and enjoy my guest, and I think you can do this, all right? And then that's how we started. And then Chris introduced me to other people and other people to other people. And I created a, a business from scratch. Then my partner came along, mm-hmm. Pizzana opened up, and uh, thanks to Jonathan Gold, uh, it got crazy, crazy, crazy. And uh, you know, I owe to them and uh, a lot. So I keep remembering in my heart every day. Yeah. And you know, I can't. He basically wrote a love letter to to, to Pizzana, and you know, it's, it's so little I can say. Just chapeau. that's all.
3: Danielle just tipped an invisible hat to the great Jonathan Gold, yeah. who I never got to meet, which kills me. But um, yeah, we're all still reeling from that loss. You look like you want to say something, Dan. No, no. Oh no,
1: I got nothing. Okay, what? A, you know, you guys. I love hearing his story.
0: This episode is brought to you by Paris Gourmet a leading specialty food importer and distributor servicing the New York tri-state area and beyond from coast to coast. I'm Jordan Werner Berry, the host of Modernist Breadcrumbs here on HRN. When it comes to freshly baked artisan bread, it's key to pair it with butter that's made with the same amount of care and attention. And you don't have to go all the way to France to find truly amazing butter. Beaumont 83% is an American butter made using traditional French methods. It's produced by a dairy cooperative in New England. And as a Vermont native, I love that this delicious butter is made locally by Family Farms. Vermont 83% is great for cooking, baking, and serving on your table with fresh breads and artisan cheeses. It's proudly distributed by Paris Gourmet to restaurants and grocery stores around the Tri-State area. Learn more about Paris Gourmet and all of their gourmet savory foods and pastry ingredients at parisgourmet.com.
4: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Souther Teague. Together we host The Speakeasy, a show where we discuss cocktails, spirits, wine, beer, tea, coffee, and all things in the liquid universe.
3: Yeah, our guests range from bartenders and brewers, alchemists and ambassadors, roasters and regulars, hippies and homebrewers, and every expert enthusiast in between.
4: (laughs) Browse episodes of The Speakeasy wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to get you back to the rest
3: of my interview with Dan Richer and Daniele Uditi in just a moment. Things move fast here, though. Caitlin has left. One of the things that I did not know, because we don't see each other enough, is that the morning commuter train schedule has changed, and she had to leave earlier than I realized. So she had no more time to join me on the air. Caitlin, thanks for being here. I actually paused. paused. The recorder ran her to the train station and took it off pause to try to maintain the energy that I gained from Caitlin being here with me. Before we get back to the interview, I want to remind everybody, as you've heard for the last two weeks, I recently entered into a promotional partnership with Sam Pellegrino, my favorite water, and their Young Chef competition is happening this year and next. There's just under two weeks left to apply You have until the end of april and i would encourage all young listeners to do that now i described this last week and the week before it is a global competition the regional semifinals of which take place this year and the north american semifinals will be in new york city in november and if you've ever wanted to be on this show a small perk of that Semifinalist list is that all 10 semifinalists will be interviewed on a special episode of this show, much like the episode I did from the Cayman Islands, or the episode I did at the Philly Chef Conference, or the one I'll be airing next week from the Chef's Roll Conference in San Diego. It'll be sort of a compilation episode featuring all 10 semifinalists. And the North American winner will be the subject of their own episode of this show and will go on to compete in the global finals in Italy. In 2020, you don't have to be a chef to enter this contest. You have to have been working in a professional kitchen for at least a year, and you have to have been born after February 1, 1989, which means you're 30 years old or younger. If you're a more mature chef, I would humbly suggest you might recommend this competition to some of your younger colleagues. Now, this is all explained in greater detail on sampellegrino.com, where you can navigate through to the Young Chef competition page, or you can go to the links in my Instagram feed that's at Chef Podcast. And the very topmost link you will see when you click through is a direct link to the application page, and you can find more information about the competition there. Briefly, the cornerstone of the competition is that you must develop a signature dish. That shows your personal vision, unique skills, and creativity. I encourage all listeners to do that, and I look forward to sharing and being a part of more programs with San Pellegrino in the months and years to come. Okay, with that, everybody, I will now return you to the rest of my interview with two of the best pizzaiolos in the United States today, Dan Richer of Raza in Jersey City, and Daniele Uditi, of Pizzana in Brentwood, California. I hope you enjoy the rest of it. Loved you guys to just chat for a minute, because, or you can talk to me and riff off each other. But you know, uh, from the you guys don't know each other that well. Um, there is clearly a kinship between the two of you. There's clearly a a gut level understanding between the two of you. I think it goes. I think it goes. Be, I think the pizza is signify something else you know maybe some of these things you guys have in common about your personality or maybe what you like about what you do um, but it was really funny we were walking up the stairs uh, you were, you Danielle, were checking on something about maybe the dough or something for tomorrow night and Dan said so you're happy and you said well I, I'm okay yeah. I am NOT you know it's 24 hours till the dinner I'm not happy now yeah. but I can go
2: you know we can go do the interview I was planning to go around the city and check out other pizza place, because like then, one of my favorite uh, styles, if you wanna call it like that, is New York style. So I, l- I like it, the crispy, and I wanted to experience more of those, because I have a chance to be in New York right now. We're not, we don't get that lucky usually to travel that much, because we are like in a bunker <laughs> making pizza. But you know, uh, yeah, and I don't think I'm gonna go anywhere tonight, because <laughs> I need to check, I, until the dough is at the point, where well, I'm happy, I don't think i going to sleep tonight. Sorry. What oh, time are you you're close? Gonna be fine. What time you close today? You're
1: good. <laughs> you're good. You're going to be fine.
2: Well, you know,
1: it, it's... It's it. always stressful because it's such a long process. And, uh, you know, you had some setbacks with your starter on the airplane yeah, yeah, yeah. that, you know, happened... Yesterday that yeah. impacts today, which is going to then impact tomorrow.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but luckily we recover from that. Uh, you know, I have, you know, the, the thing is that I have great people. Like you have Nick. I have a Fortino. He's a guy that worked with me and it's ten years almost. that He works for me and with me, not for me, because we are we're friends more than colleagues. But uh, he he has my same passion of uh, for, for pizza and he understands the thing that I want. So uh, we were on the phone today. It's like, is everything all right? Is the, the, the starter re- reactor really good today? The the, the the liquid is good, you know? Uh, and he sent me pictures, you know? And then I came here, I came to check on everything and uh, made, you know, uh, to touch it. it's okay. Well, we're we okay. It's, at least there is some activity in the dough. When there is activity, you can always recover from that. The problem is when there is no activity at all. Totally. So, what did, Can
3: you explain what that
2: means? Well, basically, fermentation. yeah, the fermentation. How do
3: you, you can just
2: see that? Well, I can touch it. I think you can see it too. It's it's a thing that when you've been done this job for a long time, you know, you can see when the dough is alive. You can touch it and you can see it. That is something that I don't know how to explain to people because it's such a personal things that you have with the, your product that you understand when uh, something is is not, not right or okay I, I think I'm going to be good tomorrow or I think I'm going to be good in two hours or in six hours you can understand that so yeah
1: it's, it's a feel smell touch yeah. thing you, 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 it's definitely multi-sensory um, and the only way to develop that understanding is by touching it every single day uh, I have to touch my dough every day i have to talk about our dough with our team so that they can develop that sense of okay where is it where's the dough now where is it going to be in six hours where is it going to be tomorrow Mm -hmm. how does it feel how does it um uh how does it compare to yesterday how does it compare to the days before you know what direction are we heading
5: Mm -hmm. is
1: the um is the the Season change taking place right now, so our dough is going to start to ferment faster over the next couple of weeks, so we need to slow things down a little bit, or in the winter, you know, we have to speed things up, and if we're not on top of it on a daily basis, then, you know... are our-
2: not going to have <laughs> Basically, you're not going to have Yeah,
1: dough. it's going to be a slow deterioration of the quality of your product until it stops fermenting or over-ferments. Well,
2: if- I have a question for you. I saw that you do... The dough in batches. I do the same thing. I do uh, three, four batches. Don't you think that doing that can help you out if something happens? Like, uh, if uh, something is not right, you can understand and then you can adjust it. Because if one batch didn't went right, you have always something to to recover with. Don't you think that that helps you in your job or Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Um, I mean,
1: we always have multiple batches going. So worst case scenario. You know, we only have half of the amount of dough that that we need for the night, so we'll that, close a little that's early. That's my thought. That's my thought,
2: exactly. <laughs> but,
1: but there's, you know, usually mm-hmm. one night a year that we have to either close the restaurant or close early because something happened, whether it's uh, complete over-fermentation or...
2: Yeah. I refrigerator that.
1: went down or something that...
2: Yeah. Well, it, happened, it happened to me, too, the, we got hit by, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, there was like a heavy rain in LA, which doesn't happen that much, but uh, when it happens, the city goes crazy. You know, it's the uh, power's coming to come down, and then we had the refrigerator, and then I had to. Go, uh, go at the restaurant and take some of the batches and then take her out, put in a nice bath, and mm-hmm. try to retard something and then yeah. to be open the, the next day. And we barely, barely, barely made it, we almost sold out, so it That's was good. it was tough time, yeah. It's
1: good. Yeah, we have we have multiple formulas. Um, you know, we'll have we have an emergency, uh, an emergency formula for a same day dough, mm-hmm. so if we get here. You know, when we arrive in the morning and everything's over fermented, we can actually use that as a starter for yeah. a same day dough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's there's always ways to um, to correct issues from ha- from having an impact on your business, but. You have to recognize them as, yeah. as early as possible because it is such a long process.
2: Welcome to the land
1: of fermentation. <laughs> uh-huh. But the, honestly, fermentation and, and the fact that it is so variable is one of the things that keeps me so engaged. I have to consistently learn You have to be it. that engaged. have to be, so and I need that.
3: When you, uh, or you get
1: bored. I get bored and I won't get out of bed in the morning.
3: When you talked about that one night, that you know, the one night a year where you have to maybe not open, right? Is it because the dough is unusable or is it because it's not to your minimum standard? Like if you use that dough when a customer tastes, think it was horrible?
1: Um, Potentially. Potentially. Okay. You know, there's yeah. been... You know, if somebody some once so this year it happened. Um, our our mixer forgot to add the salt to the dough, mm-hmm. so it's usable, but is it delicious? No, so we closed.
3: Mm. See, that would seem to me to be a night where maybe a lot of places would not have.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Most, most places, places would, would have would have
3: would not be worth taking the financial hit.
1: Yeah, of, of me, losing I, a night
3: of business. I'd rather
2: you'd rather do that.
1: Yeah, I can't I can't sleep at night if I if I know that our our product is not what it what yeah, it should be.
2: But think about it. You know, most places don't want to take the financial hit to lose in one night. But I believe it's better to take the financial hit than to give the customers a product that they. Uh, they won't like, or like it's not up to your standard. Then maybe you will lose the business in the long run. So it's better to lose one night than lose six months. So,
3: yeah, fair point. So, okay, Daniela used the word artisan before. You don't like the word pizzaiola. What do you call? I mean, do you do you call? Do you? Cons- I, I, I'm just curious because I really believe and I've talked about it with other guests on the show over the last year or so, I think because we're seeing more and more people specialize in different things, because there are new types of venues, like food trucks, right? And pop, I think we're going to, you know, it's already happening, right? There are chefs who are, whether they realize it or not, are on their way to becoming permanent pop-up chefs, right? Um, the, The landscape is changing. The different ways to do what you guys do, let's just broadly call it cooking for other people, for money, right? So I don't think it matters. But I am curious. Do you do you call yourself a chef? Do you like what do you what do you call yourself if anything? And do you think it even matters?
1: I sometimes I don't think it matters. Uh, I think some sometimes people want to know like what's your title. So I'll say chef reluctantly. Uh, I don't ever use the word pizzaiolo because I'm not. I'm not Italian. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I make pizza, I specialize in pizza. Um, I'm not ashamed that this is my specialty. I love it. Yeah, I hope it. the
3: question oh. didn't imply that.
1: No, not at all, not at yeah. all, not at all. Um, but a lot of chefs look down on it. A lot of chefs think that, that they can just, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transition into a casual pizza spot and I'm gonna do pizza. And
3: whoa, 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 I gotta say something. You, don't, you think a lot of chefs look down on what you do? Totally. Oh, I could not. You're nodding, Daniele? Totally. Oh my God, I pizza, disagree.
1: Pizza has this lowbrow thing, which I like about it, but I personally think it's the most challenging endeavor that any, I think, of any culinary endeavor. But
3: don't you think most chefs, sorry, I don't mean to argue, but don't you think most chefs, when uh, you ask them where they want to go on a given night? What they want to eat on a given night—that's a different thing. No, 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 no. I think everybody likes pizza. No, no, no. I don't just mean like you. What they call what John Stewart calls utility pizza. I mean pizza at the level that you guys are doing it, where it's treated with the same thought and care that a a quote unquote you know traditional restaurant chef treats their signature dishes, right?
1: I think that they. I don't think I don't love it. They. Everybody enjoys it.
3: You think they looked? I disagree. I
1: think. I think you're selling so, so your. I think you're. I think a lot of chefs think it's it's something that is very easy, um, and and a low brow thing.
2: Really, a percentage of chefs that think that what we do it's easy. There really, is. but well, look
1: at look at look at the the marketplace. I think the entire world thinks it's it's a, a, a an easy thing. Look at our price point. Okay, it takes yeah. years and years of of studying and practice and. Uh, trial and error and just doing it constantly yet we're maxed out at what we can charge which yes. is you know 18, 18 19, 19 dollars 20 or whatever for, for a dish LA.
2: well when you have a, a meats on top of the pizza you need to charge a little bit more so you go over what 20 sometimes but that's the price point so it's you can yeah, right pe- so, it's so absurd for people to pay like 30 bucks for a pizza unless there's yeah, truffle so right in, the, the, well,
1: in new york city uh my my buddy Anthony Mangieri from Muna Pizza just got uh, a really bad review f- specifically for charging $25 for pizza when the guy's been doing it since 1996. He's a master craftsman, right? And basically nobody wants to pay for for quality craftsmanship when it comes to pizza. Mm. I, I view what we do more similar to... Uh, a, a skilled trade like being a carpenter right okay or a cabinet maker you think it's a craft totally okay cabinet makers right you when you when you renovate your kitchen you can buy IKEA cabinets for like a thousand dollars for your whole kitchen right or you can have custom craftsmanship and skilled labor making these gorgeous beautiful cabinets and you're gonna pay 50 grand for it okay with pizza people want IKEA prices and high
2: quality product.
1: High quality product.
2: The, but they People don't are know. not
1: willing to pay for the quality craftsmanship that, uh, that yeah,
2: I always do we're the, out for. Sorry if I interrupt you, but I always do the example of the, the Japanese culture, right? The, the, the shokunin, how you call it, they specialize to do one thing, their own life, right? I'm talking about sushi. They spend so much time learning how to wash the rice how to treat the fish. Like it's one discipline, right? It's one thing. But on that kind is accepted to charge 300 bucks, 400 bucks because it's fish, right? Because there is this understanding that fish is expensive so I'm willing to pay for it. Guys, good flour is expensive good cheese is expensive. Well, yeah. the,
1: see, I'm, I'm not worried about the the cost of ingredients. Yeah, okay. Because I think a lot of people but You're worried about the
2: craftsmanship, like the time I that we you, spend. Yes. I, I, get, I get it, but there is also that part, you know, the business that people, I think, need to understand too. It's not just, it's 100% craftsmanship. I, you're talking about a guy that's been doing this for 22 years. I was a kid when I started to do this job. Yeah, so I, I think that,
1: that people think think that because the the cost of ingredients is less for for pizza than say a lobster right that our prices should always be lower right but when you like looking going back to the cabinetry, right the cost of, of the, the wood is not representative the cost of the of the product is not directly related to the cost of the ingredient or raw material okay? The wood is not the expensive thing in in custom cabinetry. It's the experience of putting it together properly and knowing the species and knowing the moisture content of the wood and knowing how to join the, the wood together. It's the, it's the the time and energy spent learning that craft and doing it.
3: But I think, I mean, this is an interesting philosophical discussion because I think I think your point, Danielle, to me, I relate to Danielle's point more about ingredients. I don't think the, like the cumulative hours you put in or anyone puts into learning your craft, I don't know how you translate that to the the expense of what you guys do because it's... um, it's like the movie business, right? You can only charge so much for a movie. It's basically the same ticket to see a low-budget movie made for 10 million dollars as it is to see the new Star Wars movie, because it's, um, it, you consume it. You know? It's not like a cabinet. You don't take it home and have it for and one of the reasons the cabinet will last for That's a very good. Point. 100 years is, is the craftsmanship, right? Or when you buy a nice shirt, one of the reasons a well-made shirt will last longer is it's you know the higher thread count and da 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 da, da. right? It's a very you good can't point. I I don't see how you translate honestly, that training into cost. I do to some extent, like it costs more to get, eat your pizza than it costs to get a slice of some generic place from a dump on Sixth Avenue, right? right?
1: But it's a very good point. But so when you compare a a a main course at a pizzeria. One of our pizzas, 12 yeah. inch pizza yeah. at $18 versus a plate of food at a restaurant, you know, a lamb dish for $38. Yes. Right. It's a main course. It's the same thing, but because it has a protein on it or, you know, because it has a protein on it, you can charge more than double what, mm-hmm. we, what we charge, um, yeah, you know, to your point about the movie business, it definitely is a very good point or or the longevity of it. And one of the things that I struggle with about about my craft is that it's so um impermanent. Yeah. It's 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 elusive. It all of this time and energy we spent learning this craft and it's gone in such a fast manner. Yeah. And uh, You struggle with that? I do. I do.
2: Do yeah. you, Danielle? Well, fifty-fifty. I have to be. I have to be honest. I still think that pizza is the, you know, it, 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 to me it's a vessel to tell you know what I want to do. But I understand hundred percent his point of view. You know, we are we spending a lot of hours in our kitchens making the dough. I personally take the time to make the dough by hand, like it used to be made a long time ago, which is an extra effort to me. That to me making the dough by hand adds a layer of texture that I personally like, and I never tried making it with the machine. probably will reach the same uh, texture with the machine, I will learn it. But for now, <laughs> I will learn. I'm, I'm, you know, you guys are pushing me so I mean, hard. Like You can get from point A to point
1: B by yeah. walking, or you can yeah. drive.
2: Yeah, 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 of course. But I've been, like, it's not laziness, you know, that I don't want to learn how to, to use a machine. It's something that I feel comfortable doing it, and that's why I do it. But, you know, there is labor involved. But it's also there is, like I was telling you, you know, uh, craft, craft machine is 50%. Ingredient is the other fifty percent to me because there is a cost on. Uh, we can tell all beautiful romances about it, but there is a cost of ingredient, right? There is other craftsmanship be, behind our job. The flour, there's another craftsmanship job. Uh, the 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 salami, the sausage, you know. The tomato growers. I tasted. I tasted the, these pepperoni right yesterday. I texted. Uh, I texted you right. Yeah. Like while I was eating the pepperoni, right. Yeah. I said, dude, pepperoni. It's mind-blowing, it's so good, right? Yeah. There's craftsmanship behind that, right? So there's a person that wants to do a really good pepperoni, right? And he got lucky to, to have found somebody that has your same view, right? Like, totally, and we
1: pay for it, it's like $13 a pound when you can there get you go. any there other pepperoni on the market for like $4 a pound. There you
2: go, and... So
1: there definitely is a cost associated with higher quality ingredients, without a doubt.
2: Yeah, so... There is, to me, is 50% is the craftsmanship which we totally put in it, but it's 50% ingredient that follows other craftsmanship. So the reason why we charge sometimes 19, 20, 25 dollars sometimes for a pizza is because not because you want to rip off people. There is no point in doing that. But there is a cost to an ingredient and to survive, uh, you know, to 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 make a profit out of it, we need to charge the the fare to, to the restaurant and to the people to pay their paycheck it's not that we want to oh uh, i i read some reviews sometimes you no know, and it's like oh my god i paid 40 for a, uh, for a truffle uh, a truffle pizza yeah. and it doesn't smell like strong like truffle yeah, because I don't use truffle oil that is made in a yeah. lab and you know yeah. I use fresh truffle from Norcia and that has a cost to me that's why I'm paying I'm paying 40 I'm, I'm charging people 40 bucks and it's a steal because people charge a lot more than that so there is a cost there is a craftsmanship but and I think people should think about it when they go eat an artisanal pizza made, made from scratch so
1: yeah and and let me let me rebuff my previous argument about not being able to charge enough for it one of our core values as a restaurant is to keep it accessible to people and i love the fact that there's nothing on our menu that's over 19 dollars food wise we have some wines that are more expensive but every food item on our menu is below 19 dollars and that's it's part of how we do business is mm-hmm. keeping it accessible because like i said earlier pizza is American pizza, especially, is the world's most shareable and equitable and fair food, and it should be part of our business yeah. model to keep it fair and accessible to everyone. That's why, like, uh, that's why nothing on our menu is over nineteen dollars, and that's why also why we don't take reservations. It's fair, equal, and equitable for everybody, and shouldn't not be.
2: I wish I could do that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take reservations; <laughs> otherwise, I will be happy. Some people, yeah, every night. Oh,
1: we do all the time, and it's so. it's unfortunate. It's really difficult to eat at our restaurant, um, but I love that it's fair and equal for all. It's first come, first serve. Mm-hmm. First people who get get here are going to get the first pizzas.
2: Well, luckily, when you come to LA, we're going to sell tickets. So yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> we won't have anybody <laughs> fighting
4: for it.
3: Okay, last question for you guys. Bring it. I want you to tell me. How do I want to put this? You you choose how you want to do it. Either uh, it's probably the same answer. Either the pizza, either the pizza of your own, your own pizza variation that you do, that either sums up what you think you're about pizza wise, or just your favorite one to eat of your own.
1: I mean, that's such a hard hard question is that like answer. sophie's choice you well, can't like it's like know,
3: picking between your kids
1: kind of yeah. yeah if if i didn't truly believe in it, it wouldn't be on our menu i mean i got i have off the top of my head three uh let's let's take two uh one is our hazelnut pizza
3: mm-hmm. how's it made i so mean I not think. from top to bottom but like what right. the hazelnut
1: part so the condiments yeah um the toppings um Rutgers University has been breeding hazelnuts for the past 24 years uh, because in in the early 1900s, before the early 1900s, the hazelnut was one of our predominant trees on the East Coast. Uh, a fungal disease called filbert blight came in and wiped out the entire population. So Rutgers has been grafting European trees onto American rootstocks and creating this, uh, trying to outbreed the disease and, and creating this new hazelnut tree that will grow very well on the east coast there's a worldwide shortage of hazelnuts um, so they're trying to outbreed the disease and breed the perfect hazelnut uh, in terms of size uh, flavor uh, fat content uh, certain genetic characteristics like whether that little uh, papery skin on the hazelnut whether that peels off or doesn't peel off that's a genetic characteristic that they're trying to outbreed So Rutgers came to me and said, uh, "You know, we have ten thousand trees, ten thousand hazelnut trees on the East Coast. Like we have a ton of hazelnuts. Can you do something with them?" I said, "Absolutely, yes." Um, Not realizing what it would entail to actually get the hazelnuts out of the shells. Um, At the beginning, I couldn't even figure out how to get them out of the shells on a on a mass scale. Uh, we were cracking them one at a time at the beginning, but it takes a lot, it's of, a big lot of pain. So we created a pizza around the hazelnuts. Um, we have a lot of other pizzas throughout the year with a similar story where we're inspired by the, by one ingredient whether it's corn or uh, or pepperoni or hazelnuts. Take this beautiful, pristine, perfect raw in- ingredient and then create a pizza around it. It's less about me and less less about mm. what I wanna do to create this beautiful pizza, and more about what's given to us uh, and what what's available and what's here.
3: I love that. That's yeah, great. that
1: and and the margarita pizza. I can't like stress that enough. I if if I could do one thing for the rest of my life, it would be to make a margarita pizza in multiple variations and just do that one thing: the dough, the sauce, and the cheese and the basil. Uh, and there's so many unique combinations. I mean, just like we talked about where earlier where I have multiple, multiple dough batches, comparing, contrasting. Mm-hmm. We do that with cheeses also a lot. Uh, we do that with tomatoes every single night. We always have multiple uh, tomatoes in the restaurant. Um, and we use them for different purposes and they're kept at different moisture contents based on what other ingredients are going on the pizza. Um, all of these things are so much... They're, they're so engaging to me and, and they really You're talking
3: like you do, somebody would talk about like a riff like a jazz riff
1: Totally Yeah Variations on a theme
3: Variations on a theme Okay Danielle, How however you want to answer the question or however you don't want to answer it
2: I play saxophone, so I understand the way... I play saxophone, too! Actually, I did in fourth grade.
3: You guys just find that out for this? Uh Uh-huh, I'm telling you, there's something else going on here. There's something...
2: I I guess.
3: (laughs) There's something deeper between you guys than just pizza. But anyway...
2: Well, you know, uh, what was the question? It was either your favorite of your... Your favorite
3: of your own pizza to eat, or the pizza you do that you think most sort of sums
2: up your style. We have we have the same idea of about margarita pizza. On my menu I have the Neo Margarita, which is a variation of the margarita. It's you know to me on the margarita pizza there is uh, or too much basil or there is not enough basil. That that was my biggest issue, you know, and I love basil so much that we created uh, you know, a margarita pizza there the base is Fior di Latte from Maggie and then there is uh Uh, parmigiano reggiano and there is the sauce our tomato are San Marzano from San Marzano which we have a little a little field where people grow tomatoes for us, for pizza. So, San Marzano is a small city up on the Mount Vesuvius. You know, I see a lot of those San Marzano DOP. There's no way in the world that they can supply everybody. So, there is a region in San Marzano. Depends where you plant it, the flavor changes a little bit, you know, because the minerals, the soil is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So, we went to meet this guy uh, up on the Mount Vesuvius, and I like so much the, their tomatoes that. Uh, we start a collaboration. So we cook down those tomatoes for six hours, and then uh, it becomes like almost a paste. It's a concentrated tomato flavor, San Marzano tomato flavor. We uh, dot the pizza with it, and then the basil becomes... Uh, a crumbs. So, like, it's almost a powder mm-hmm. that we sprinkle on top of the pizza. It's to have you the experience of margarita on steroids. That's how I call it. So, it has really rich flavor, still holds the creep- uh, the crispiness. And uh, to me, it's the perfect margarita pizza. Great. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I love that it's a unique take on something so classic. Right. Um, and, you know, when I was eating his Neo Margarita, I, I, just completely fell in love because like i said i'm i'm all about the variations mm-hmm. of the margarita mm-hmm. it's really delicious pepperoni. and so unique i would never think to to do what you did to
2: pepperoni. now uh, my, my my obsession is to find a good, good enough pepperoni because now I have high standards because he has one of the best pepperoni in the country, I think. So I, I'm gonna be obsessed about pepperoni. That's my next uh, quest, so, g- pepperoni awesome. quest.
1: Yeah, we, we never set out to do a pepperoni pizza on our menu, uh, and it wasn't on the menu for the first three years or so. And one day I was just like, you know what? We can, we can make a better pepperoni pizza than, than what's currently available in the market.
2: Well, you did. I love it. Actually, can we go down and have I another? Yeah, yeah, please. We can do that. Thank you. We can do that. Awesome. What else? Perfect what else? ending. No, we're done. We're done. He Who had the perfect ending. Up? He
3: had the perfect ending. Oh, well, you live here. I can come interview you again sometime. All right, guys. That's awesome. Thank you. For um, thank you very much. Good to see you, Dan. A, good to meet you. That's Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. that's our show for this week Dan Richer and Daniele Uditi thank you for making that time for me in the midst of your preparation for what looked to be a very ambitious and delicious collaboration I'm only sorry I wasn't able to come back the next night to enjoy it Caitlin thank you for joining me for the intro to our engineer Jeet Paul Jeet thank you as always for splicing these things together to everyone at Heritage for your support I appreciate it and to all of you out there in podcast land Thank you for listening, and we will see you back here next week on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network.
4: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization